0: That's right we're starting to talk about Christmas can you believe so if you had to think of the things you got to get prepped and I don't want anybody to start stressing or anything but what are the things that you do in your household to get ready for Christmas what are some things that need to happen for your celebration to happen just call them out if you got something decorate baking anything else cleaning very important shopping Shopping. yeah every year not shopping shopping. (laughs) okay nobody's getting anything from isabel just (laughs) you know now we know anything else that you do the tree Inviting people, yeah? Reading. Reading. So so our, when we said tree, do we mean a tree or like a plastic thing shaped like a tree? What are, what are, <laughs> a real tree. We've always been real tree people, and I'm just giving in this year and going, well, maybe we could get by with a plastic thing. I don't know. I feel a little sad. My kids are disappointed in me. I know they are. So all those things, right, Uh, Christmas cards, lights, I didn't even hear that one, or lights on the tree, all those things that lots of people do, gift shopping, special baking, picking up the tree, putting up the fake thing, decorating the tree or the plastic thing, planning a Christmas party or inviting people, grocery shopping, all that stuff, right, there's lots of prep to be done, there's a lot to get ready for, is there any amens on that, yeah, How many people have started already? Show of hands. Oh, the Keeners. We have rules like like December 1st before the tree goes up and stuff like that, but uh, it's more important to do that when it's a real tree too, right? Because otherwise it's dead and it looks like that Charlie Brown Christmas tree by the time Christmas rolls around. So there's all this stuff we do to get ready. And 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 right now, we're like, maybe we got lots of time, especially for the procrastinators. They're like, we're not even in December yet. No problem. But once December 1st hits, once we have that first Sunday of Advent, once we start lighting those candles, it's like game on, countdown to Christmas, stuff needs to get done. Some households, certain people take care of that and the rest of us sit back with our feet up. Other households, it gets shared not judging how you do it in your home but those are all ways that we can go about it but somebody somewhere has to do some prep work right like if you're going to pull off christmas you're going to do stuff to get it ready and yet if we look back at that first christmas it's not just that it's humble circumstances it doesn't really look from the outside it wouldn't have looked to them and if you were there and you witnessed these events firsthand you would think there's no plan here these people are not organized talk about procrastination situation that doesn't look anything like ideal So if you add up the circumstances and you don't know what's going on if you haven't celebrated this for your whole life and you set that aside you go there's a teenage girl who's pregnant at a wedlock in a time when that was really frowned on there's an impromptu road trip nine months pregnant uh, halfway across you know desert lands and dangerous circumstances To get to a town because there's a census there's no hotel reservations there's uh, no place to lay the baby there's a makeshift uh, crib slash cattle trough in a barn and and it doesn't look like it was mapped out very well and if somebody planned your vacation as poorly as this looks in its planning you'd be saying okay, I'm going to take over the organization next year, right? Like we do things, even if it's a last minute vacation, I'm going to take some time off. We call around, we make reservations, we go places, we fill the car with gas. we. We, we get things ready. If we're gonna spend some time off when we're at home, we, we go buy groceries. If we're having guests come, we clean the house, we get the, the, the food ready and, and we do all those things. And Christmas, we heighten that up and we spend all this time prepping. We get ready and we see it coming. But this situation, on the surface of it, if you don't know the background, doesn't look very organized. It doesn't look very planned it seems like maybe whoever is behind this is not one of those type A personalities, right? And so it can, it, it can look like there really wasn't a plan or it was thrown together last minute or, or something has gone wrong and something fell off the rails and it didn't go the way it was planned. And yet Paul describes jesus coming in this way he says but when the right time came god sent his son born of a woman subject to the law when the right time came god sent his son born of a woman subject to the law when the right time came or or in the niv if you look at that translation it says but when the set time had fully come um or or if you look in in the uh In the king james version that i grew up with in the fullness of time it's probably one of the few times i like the king james better in the fullness of time like when time was kind of full it's almost like time was pregnant and about to give birth it's got this connotation the word in the original language is like not just in the right time like well it you know it happened and that was the time and it was the right time it's like everything is prepped everything is ready the plan is being enacted everything is completely ready to go and it's just going to flow exactly like it should and that's not what it looks like but Paul says that's how it actually was so the set time had fully come the fullness of time the sense of everything being in the exact right moment in the exact right way and so there's a little bit of a disconnect if we're looking at the details of the story and saying how can that be the way it was meant to be how can those details be the ones even though they seem so random even though it seems like there's no plan um, we could understand why outsiders might look at it and say That doesn't really sound like a very good situation. And if we looked at it as anything but the scripture, we'd go, You're right, that was not well planned. Who's responsible for this? And so when Luke sets out to write his account of Jesus' life, when he decides to write down, he says, I'm I'm gonna write an orderly account. Like I, I, I want this to make sense, and so he writes to this guy, Theophilus, and he starts the gospel story of Jesus. and 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 so he says if i'm going to tell you the story this is the point he jumps into the story at and so he starts and, and we only have matthew and luke that really give the birth narratives mark mark just skips right to jesus adult life and john john backs up the camera so far that he starts talking about eternity and creation and all of that but but the only one that the only two that that really focus in on this story that we celebrate at christmas this scene this manger scene and and all that it entails is is uh, luke and matthew and so luke when he sets down to give this orderly account he says it's orderly it happened it's got this pattern to it there's a plan behind it it may not look like that, but it is. And so he starts by telling us about the characters. And so he picks up at the beginning of his gospel and he says, It all starts with this priest named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. And so he tells us about these two people, Zechariah and Elizabeth. He says, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the lord's commandments and regulations they had no children because elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old so they're both descended from priests they're both uh steeped in the faith of the people of israel um they are described as righteous and they both come from this priestly heritage where they kind of know the scriptures they know about the stories about god and so they're both people who are righteous but they also have no child and so that's the characters and then uh and then it unfolds the scene it tells us they're they're old they don't have any children and uh and then zechariah the scene is that zechariah one day is serving god in the temple for his order was on duty that week and as was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot uh to enter the sanctuary of the lord and burn incense so two righteous older people but they still don't have kids and and, uh and and so they enter the sanctuary to um of the lord to burn incense that's that's where zechariah goes in And and I want to pause here and do a little math, okay? So here's what you need to understand about Zechariah. That one verse just tells us he was serving God in the temple. His order was on duty that week. And you might go, okay, well, he's in the temple and he's one of the priests, so it makes sense he's in there. But but here's how it works. There's 24 divisions of priests, and there's 750 priests in each division. So that's 18,000 priests. That's that's the math of it. 24 uh, divisions, 750 priests each division, 18,000 priests. Each division serves twice a year. And when they served, um, when, they, when they serve, they're kind of like, uh, it, it's their turn to do it. And one out of the 750 priests, right? So twice a year, your division serves and each time they serve, one out of the 750 priests actually gets to go into the temple to pray like Zechariah did. So they're chosen by lot to go in and uh, into the holy place to pray. And so if you got chosen to pray once in a lifetime, it was a big deal. The math of it is kind of huge, right? Like there's, there's not much chance that you're going to be the one to go in and many priests lived their whole lives they didn't start to serve till they were uh, till they were uh older so 25 you started your priestly training 30 years old you actually started to serve actively and, and you know how old do you live maybe you're 80 or 90 uh, that you're serving as a priest so that's that's a fairly narrow window from 30 to 80 you got 50 years you got 50 shots you know times two because it's twice a year out of 750 people to be chosen. The odds of him getting chosen in his lifetime are against him, but the odds of him getting chosen in his lifetime at this particular moment, astronomical. So maybe there's, you know, that's the situation. But Zechariah, he wins the lotto. His number comes up and he goes into the temple to pray and so he's the one there at that time so if you believe in chance or odds and while he was in there the scripture says right like his number comes up he's in there while zechariah was in the sanctuary an angel of the lord appeared to him standing at the right of the incense of the altar so he gets this once in a lifetime opportunity to step into that holy place and to pray and while he's in there this angel shows up and starts talking to him so the angel start, stands at the right of the altar it says and uh and and starts to engage him in conversation so the fact that he's the one to hear from an angel starts to look like the lottery was rigged a little bit right Like maybe there's something going on. Maybe the way that this lined up is more than just a coincidence. So the angel starts to engage him and starts to talk to Zechariah. And so God sends the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel tells Zechariah that God is getting ready to send his son to the earth. That he's going to send the Messiah. And he says to Zechariah, your sons, you're going to have a son and he's going to play a huge part in what's about to unfold here. John is going to come, and John's going to make way for Jesus. Right? The Messiah is coming. The hero, the rescuer, the Son of God is coming to earth, and you're going to have a son even though you've never had a child. And against all odds, this son will have an impact on the entire world if you know your scripture really well then you know that that sounds a little familiar there's this situation in the old testament with abraham and sarah right where they're childless and uh and god says to them i'm about to bless you with a child and your child's going to have and you're going to have children and your descendants are going to be as numerous as the sand on the seashore and they're going to impact the entire planet like there's nobody in your nation or any other nation that won't be blessed through what's going to happen so god had made that promise he'd always meant to not just bless israel but to use israel to bless everybody else he started with them but the blessing was going to go worldwide and god had promised that to abraham and sarah even though they were old and they were childless and they didn't know why and now in zechariah's time particularly for a priest Part of what was considered a sign of God's blessing is that you had a wife and you had children. That was a sign that God was happy with you. He was pleased with your work. You were the kind of person that was righteous. It was one of those outward signs. And people might have looked at him and thought, "Well, well, you do have a beautiful wife. She's a wonderful lady and you're both righteous. But how come you don't have kids? How come God has withheld this blessing? And so it seems like they should have had kids as a sign of blessing. And yet we find as the story unpacks, it's, it's not what had happened. And so they didn't have children. And now they're old and they've made up their minds. And so John, we're told, is going to have this impact. That God, again, is stepping against the nature of old people having babies, and he's going to bless them with a child, and their child is going to do something that's going to get the world ready for its, its, its hero, its rescuer, its Messiah. The most important person in human history is about to come, and you're going to make it okay for him to come. Your son is going to do something. You're going to have a child, you're going to have a son... And he's going to do something that important. So all of a sudden this scene that we know seems so random, seems so unplanned, seems so poorly executed from the outside looking in that God had had a plan the whole time, that God had lined things up, that God was ready to do something miraculous. And so Zechariah, like Abraham long before him, is an old man hearing a voice that's sent to him from God through an angel to tell him that something is about to happen that has been planned for all of time. And the entire history, not just of of our planet and the human race, but the entire history of the universe has been waiting for this moment for things to all come together for the most important moment that could ever exist for us and Zechariah is told you haven't had a kid yet but you will and he's going to play a part in that playing out he's going to make the way straight he's going to get the path ready he's going to prep the plan He's going to run this down in such a way that it can play out exactly as it should. And so John is going to impact the family of God too. And just like Abraham, and, and John is going to turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He'll be a man in the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children And he'll cause those who are rebellious to accept godly wisdom. So because he's got this spirit and power of Elijah, because God has done that in him, he's going to change things. He's going to change relationships. And and so relationships in families, he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. He's going, broken relationships are going to be mended because of what John's about to do. Zechariah, your kid is going to do that. And that's one of the things that needs to happen in order to prep the way for the Messiah to come. Hearts will be turned towards each other. Families will be reunited. He'll turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He'll turn people towards God. He'll turn people's hearts towards each other in relationship. Uh, He'll be a man in the spirit and power of Elijah, and he'll turn the hearts of the Father to their children and cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. He says he'll change people's minds and hearts so that they accept wisdom, And they walk away from the opposite of wisdom, right? Non-wisdom, foolishness. And so he says he's gonna do all this stuff so that they focus on the right things, so they're focused towards God and their hearts turn towards God and and their hearts start to turn towards each other and, and they understand true wisdom for life. John's gonna bring that. And that's gonna prep things so that jesus can come and do what jesus has come to do so it kind of makes sense that family uh, that christmas is a family time right as the story unpacks we hear about these hearts turning towards each other and, and we know that god has this reconciling influence within his kingdom so that families are drawn together and the family of god is drawn together so that so that they're they're closer so that because their hearts have turned to God, their hearts naturally turn towards the people around them. And so that things are reconciled and, and, uh, and made right. And he says that when those things, when our hearts are right with God and our hearts are right with each other, that then he can turn our hearts to wisdom. Like we can understand really how to live wisely and how to understand the world around us and how to look at things and the way that they're happening. And so there's something about turning family hearts towards each other that makes things right for God to show up. And it changes the atmosphere of rebelliousness to the atmosphere of following wisdom. And so Zechariah, Zechariah is being told, you're going to be called on to raise this boy knowing what he is going to be called to do you're going to be called to raise him in such a way that he understands what's God's got in mind for him knowing his life mission for Jesus and so if this Christmas story is going to have an impact on us um, then it needs to put pull our hearts towards God it needs us to focus on who he is and why he's coming and why his son is necessary if the christmas story is gonna is gonna have its way with us then it's gonna show us that we need to be in relationship and, and those relationships can can be in tension and can need help to be worked out and if we're really going to listen to the voice of god it will pull us away from our rebelliousness when we want to go our own way and make our own path and make our own decisions and will pull us to, towards true godly wisdom And it'll let us know that we, like John, have a mission that is God-ordained. It's not the exact same mission, but it will always involve getting closer to God and doing our part to work out our relationships with other people here on earth and to follow the wisdom of God. I remember years ago... When I had my big car accident and I woke up from a coma, it was like everybody in the, you, you know, all the nurses and doctors that come in that so many of them seem to say, well, God's got a reason that you're still here. You know, there's a reason you're still alive. He must have big plans for you. And, and, and I kind of, it starts feeling like they're like, oh, you, you know, there's a, you're, you're going to do something big or, or you wouldn't have survived. Like God's just going, well, I can do without that person and that person, but oh me, right. He needed me. And I kind of responded to him, yeah, God's got a big plan, but he's got a big plan for everybody. Like I'm not unique in that. It's every single human on planet Earth that he has a mission for. I believe that because I know the kind of God He is. And so when he speaks to Zechariah, he's talking to Zechariah about what God's gonna do in Zechariah and what he's gonna do through John, but there is always a plan even when it seems haphazard, even when it looks random, even when the world seems like it is not playing out as it should in my life and the lives of the people around me. And so anybody looking at this Christmas story that didn't know if, if we kind of, you know, could, could flip a switch and nobody had ever heard this story before, if you heard it for the first time in its detail, just in the surface details, you'd go... That sounds nuts. That doesn't sound on purpose. That doesn't sound like it's headed somewhere very good. Maybe it's one of those origin stories about something that's so off the rails that when you turn it around, it's a really great story. But this part is the before image, not the actual good part. But the scripture tells us that in the fullness of time, exactly the way it was supposed to be, that it's not a before picture and the after is gonna be so much better, but it says this is exactly in time and exactly in step to make things play out exactly as they should. And so the mission of John is something that's about to happen to make things right for Jesus coming. And jesus is still showing up in our world and jesus is still present and jesus is still needed right like the things that he brings to our world he we are still in need of there are still people who need to encounter him and he hasn't written off the human race and he isn't absent uh and it isn't you know pie in the sky when we die by and by it's not like we're going to wait for heaven and then we'll see Jesus and you know until then there's really nothing happening with him that's not the way that we believe and so when we stand in our circumstances when we are in situations that seem unplanned and unmapped out and not lining up the way that they should it's not that every detail is is necessarily you know perfection But there's a way that God works out his plans, sometimes in spite of circumstances, that always, always works out. And so in an ugly historical setting, in a situation where things uh, seem so ugly, in a place and a time where people like Mary who show up And start claiming that they've been with God. And now they're going to have a baby as a teenager. Like that's not going to play out well on the surface. But God is active. And his kingdom is approaching. And people will be offered the opportunity to encounter the God of the universe in human flesh standing in front of them and telling them exactly how life works and what true wisdom looks like. And he still does that. And we still will have an opportunity to encounter him. And so we can prepare ourselves to receive him. We can iron out our relationship with God. We can... Work at the relationships with people around us, and we can accept his wisdom even when we feel the pull of our rebellious hearts to move the other way and to ignore the voice of God that's trying to tell us something. We can pull away or we can move towards, we can follow our path or we can be on his mission. There's a plan it won't look like it makes sense to anybody else and it might not look like it makes sense to us sometimes but if you know that God is active and if you trust him in the middle of your circumstances then like Zechariah, and then like his son John and like all the characters we meet in scripture who are encounter God we are called on to respond to him and to move in his direction and to listen to his wisdom And to work at our relationships with other people because it's not an individual thing. And if we do that, our hearts will be prepared to receive him. And he will show up in ways that are life-changing. And the barn of your life and mine will be filled by the presence of Almighty God. In life-changing ways.